Hello, my name is Shaman Foy, and I am here with my co-host, Eva Potts, and today we have a special guest. Her name is Carol Hummel, and we are, this is the Charles Monet Syndrome podcast, and this is episode four, and we're looking forward to this conversation today. Carol, so nice to meet you. Thanks for agreeing to be here with us on this podcast. Well, thanks for taking a chance on me. Thank you. Thank you. So we 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 wanted to start and discuss, first of all, we know that Charles Benet syndrome is a condition that people get when they're either blind or visually impaired. So if you don't mind going back a little bit and maybe sharing what kind of eye condition you have that that caused you to lose your, your sight and um, when did that process start? Well, I think I've had macular degeneration for many years. I don't even know how long, maybe 15. I'm just guessing, but that was the only eye, real eye problem I had. Uh, I had to wear glasses and uh, I little ha would have a little problems time to time or reading fine print or something ahead of you. Get a, 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 a well, trying to get, get a, mag a magnifier. I had them all over the house. So I never thought about, I never even heard of this syndrome. So I wasn't expecting anything other than the same for the rest of my life. But suddenly, about two and a half years ago, I'm guessing, um, I had to go to rehab because I'd fallen. And this is how it started for me. I assumed that when I fell, I may have hit my head. I'm pos positive that I hit my head four or five times before I found out what I had. And so I thought, did I get it because I fell or did I get it because I had macular de degeneration? I wasn't sure about anything because I never even heard of it. So I was in the dark about a lot of it, but I had to go to rehab. And while I was there, I told them about it. They, they knew what I was talking about. So they had a lot of medical staff there. And I was there, who, like over a month. Just trying to walk straight again. I, I was wobbly. Uh, well, still positive about this Charles Bonet. I wasn't positive at all. I thought, here I am in a rehab. I'm not even sure why I'm here. But I stayed there, did all the exercises, and tried to get to where I wasn't off balance. I was terribly, and I'm still off balance, but I was terribly off balance back then. I had to hold on to a, a walker. This is my first time uh, using a walker, and I'm still on the same walker. So I, you know, I had nothing, no other choice but to stay there and try to get better. And I did get stronger. I really got a lot stronger. But it's changeable. Some days I felt really strong. Some days I felt like giving up. And you know, you go through a lot of different feelings about is it true or. Uh, am I going to make it or am I going to well? I didn't know what was going to happen. But I finally got loose, got back to my apartment, and I just started adding doctors to my list. First one I tried to get was an ordinary doctor who said, uh, Charles, what? <laughs> uh, so, oh boy, I sure don't need this doctor. Um, I just started doctor shopping. Uh, I now have eight doctors. Counting all uh, like the foot doctor and all that kind of stuff too. It's just, uh, it takes over your body. You don't have a choice. Uh, 
I went through a lot of grief and then I got mad and I had a terrible temper anyway. I, I thought, oh, I can't be mad about something I can't even do anything about. So I saw uh, a guy from the School for the Blind that I had already known for a long time. I was talking to him one day when I said that, he said, oh, I know a guy that is with the School for the Blind. His name is Gary uh, Cusick, I think, something like that. I said, what does he do? He said, well, he has a group of people that he talks with all the time. I got his number from him, and and that's where I am today. I'm still hung in there with, with Gary and uh, Eva and all, all those nice people there. Um, okay. Wow. Wow. Um, I, I'm curious, um, when you said that you went to the rehab, and then when you were in the rehab, you bumped your head, and you're not sure if... Charles may happen as a result of bumping your head or what was happening. If you don't mind sharing, why did you go to the, to the rehab? I had uh, fallen here and uh, the nurse that I see uh, regularly helping me get along with things uh, recommended that uh, that's where I should go. And uh, I, she's well known and everybody likes her. And I said, okay, whatever you, cause I don't know what I'm doing. And she said, I know, and I'm going to help you every step of the way. And she was wonderful. She told me what I should and shouldn't do. She recommended places. And if they didn't do what she wanted them to do, they paid big deal. I mean, they got very upset with her. And she said, look, I can call in people to get this done. Do you want to cooperate with me? And they say, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And she got me all the right people. And uh, I'm still with them all. Uh, I had my first sighting uh, long after I got back to my apartment. Uh, now, it was right at the end of uh, me going into the apartment. I had to go to the rehab because I, of, of falling. And while I was there, I had my first sighting that I, I didn't understand at all. I'm sitting in my room, like a little hotel almost, and uh, I saw a man come in. He looked foreign. A little boy by the hand and an older lady following him uh, with a scarf on. Nobody wears scarves like that anymore. Very old fashioned looking. And they came into my room and I thought, this is a uh, female side. He shouldn't be in here. I said to my cousin was there. I said, Mary, who are those people? They just went into my bathroom. She said, what people? I said, a man with a little boy and, and a woman following along behind him. She said, no, they shouldn't be in here. No males are supposed to be in here unless they work here. And I, she said, when they get here, I said, a few minutes ago, they're still in the bathroom. And she said, well, I'll go see what's going on. And she walks over there. She's nobody in this bathroom, Carol. I said, well, they can't get out because there's no door there to the outside. And I'm sitting right out here. She said, are you sure you saw somebody? I said, I'm positive, I can describe him. I can tell you, he took the door key out of the door. And she said, there's no door key here, Carol. And then I started thinking I was crazy, like everybody else, y'all thought, something wrong with me. And uh, Mary says, there's nobody here, Carol, and there's no door key on the bathroom door. They wouldn't allow that. And uh, I, I, I said, what about the old lady? And they said, no, there's no one here, Carol, just you and me. And I thought, oh my God, I, I am going crazy. That's all I could think of, it was me, my problem. And uh, 
that's one of the first sighting. And I thought it may be the only thing I ever would see. But oh my God, I can't believe where I've ended up. I don't talk about it much. How long ago was that when you had that first sighting? About, I'm going to say about two and a almost two and a half years ago. Wow. It's been with me, but oh my, how it has changed. It's it's now, like a, a weekly basis now, the changes. Okay. And after that first sighting, how long did it last? Was it just a couple of minutes and then they were gone, uh, the people? the Yes. Okay. Yes. And how... how how long after that first sighting before you had another sighting? When I got back to my apartment and settled back in uh, with my new uh, walker, uh, I started noticing a family, like a mother, father, two or three little bitty kids and a parents. They were like a little family. It was the only sighting I had. They were here every morning, off and on during the day. And I had no idea how to describe it back then. Were they real? Were they not real? Uh, you know, all that, all those questions you first get. Uh, I had nobody to answer them. Uh, actually, until I came to uh, 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 also have a, <laughs> a, a, another problem where I forget what I'm saying. Oh, no problem. You're doing actually, actually very well. You probably were going to yeah. say until you came to Gary's group and met, and met Gary that, that yeah. you started realizing what was, yeah. what was happening. Well, Gary so, kind of explained it. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious, did your vision decrease drastically right before you started having the, the, I'm going to call them hallucinations, uh, right before you started having those hallucinations or was it gradually, uh, decreasing over time because of the macular degeneration? For a while, it was gradually, uh, like a couple of months gone by, and I, I was seeing these same critters. I call them critters. Uh, I was seeing the same ones every morning. It was like, here they come for their breakfast, you know. Uh, the babies are playing on the floor with little toys, and I knew what was coming. And after a couple of months, uh, more were added to the list. Well, where did they come from? Where, how long have they been here? Where are they staying? You know, I was thinking of them as a little family and lots of animals, cats and dogs and horses. So this little family lives on a farm because I have advanced to the part where they take me out. I'm in my bed. It happens when I'm asleep. Uh, I feel my bed moving and I'm seeing it from my bed, but we're on a farm. They're doing their chores. They're doing different things and neighbors come in and I'm, I'm seeing this along with them, but I know I'm in my bed because I could turn my head and see I was in my bed and see my pictures on the wall. But when I turned back, I was right back on that farm and I've been there many times. It's not even surprising anymore. I have now added at least a hundred people mm. and it's wow. scary. I mean, at first up, I got used to it and I thought this not too scary. There seemed like nice critters, <laughs> but, uh, and they were, I've never had anything really threatening or really, really bad, but, uh, I'm beginning to occasionally because they're coming in by the bus loads. And I told Gary that I don't talk about this part too much when I'm at the, uh, uh, zoom meetings because 
I feel like nobody's going to believe that. Nobody's going to believe such, such, it sounds like outright made up stories. I've been so many places. Wow. I, I can't describe them, but I'm just somewhere else. And sometimes busloads of people will unload in front of my sliding doors. I can see right out my sliding door. People lined up to come in. To what? I, why are they wanting in here? I see them lined up. And they're holding up a little card. And they hold it up to the door. And it's, it says pass on it. And I said, pass? You know, like, I, I don't want you guys in here. And I don't the door. They're pointing to the door lock. And they really communicate, showing me the pass, banging it on the door. And sometimes they thought, like, oh, heck with it. I'll just walk through the wall, you know, and they, and they do, they just walk right through it. Uh, when did you, when did you first tell somebody that you were experiencing these critters or these hallucinations? Um, I might've started with my family, just telling them I was seeing people. At first they listened to me and then now they don't want to hear it. Uh, they'll interrupt me and say, mom, mom, I didn't call here to hear that story. You, you're telling it same story over and over. I said, no, they're different people. I'm just, the theme of it is the same. And he says, well, I called for a different reason, you know, so I can tell other comments that they don't want to hear it. They're busy. And that's just my daughter and son. Uh, other people like my, my uh, nursemaids, they come in and help me with the laundry and all this other stuff, caregivers. I have two of those and they believe me absolutely. And they try to help me all the time. Well, what if you do this? Well, have you tried this? What's the worst thing they've ever said? I said, they don't talk. He said, well, how do you know what they're doing? I said, I, I, it's forced on me. I can try to ignore it, but it's pretty hard. I said, they don't make a sound. So I just have to assume that they want something to get right in front of me and just stand there and stare at me. And I said, well, I don't know what you want. You don't talk. You know, I just, I get so aggravated at the fact that they've got all the cards i mean i i just am here to watch them and and then gary uh soon set me straight that don't watch them don't get friendly with them don't get abused by them till you can't get rid of them she said he said we've got it we've got to uh you know make them want to go away not come around i said how do we do that he said just ignore them just pretend they're not there and you go on with your business and it's pretty hard to when you, in one blink, they could be on the other side of the room. They, they're like magic. So how long before you first started seeing the, the, the critters or the hallucinations, did it take before you told your family? Did you tell them right away or did you keep it a secret? Cause you said you thought you were going crazy. You said, well, if they were open to it, uh, I would tell them things, but I already found out from my two kids. That's not what people want to hear or, or they won't want to be, you know, around me. So I told Gary about it and he says, for your sake, uh, not for their sake, but for your sake, you've got to ignore this and try to get a handle on it. And uh, that's what I did. I, I took Gary's advice. He was the only one that really knew anything at that time. Now I found out we got Eva and all these other people that are as, as bright as you, Gary. <laughs> and uh, I really trust what they say. They've had experience, they've had, personal experiences and I just feel like that's the path to follow and so to harden up and you got to be mean and nasty I'm not kidding you you gotta 
stonewall yourself. You gotta, you know, put yourself out there and confront them. If you just look at them and smile and do it, you're getting nowhere. And this is the, this is the, what I tell people, and uh, like at, at our Zoom meetings, uh, some of those nice people at the Zoom meetings are are not doing themselves a good service by making friends and saying, but I like them. They're like company for me. It, it's the wrong way to go because you'll become like them. If you, if you let it, you'll drive everyone away. You've got to be as hard as possible with yourself, with your brain. Since I created it, it's in my head, I feel responsible and whatever I have to do, I will find a way to make it better for me and I will pass that on. But I'm afraid they won't believe me because I, when I start out to tell them what happened yesterday, uh, when I get done, I'll say, oh, I should have said that. That little lady is so sweet and everything. She's not going to believe that. She's going to think I'm using this program to tell stories or something. <laughs> and Gary said not to worry about it, but I do. I don't want to have somebody think I'm making stuff up. To me, I'm not making it up. I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm involved in it. So I'm trying to get away from it and I want to help them get away from it. And the only way is through your own brain. There is no other outlet. I've talked about it and talked about it with some of my friends and some of my old neighbors that knew some people that had it. How long did it take before you found out that it was Charles Bonet? Uh, when you first started experiencing, experiencing this, how long before you met Gary and found out what it was? Uh, really, it was right after I met Gary. Mm -hmm. uh, I had no one that had any knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. I'd hear so was people that like, saying, was that like six months or was it like right away once you had your first hallucination at the rehab it was center? Right away, because I oh, was okay. new and, he, and when you're new there, he always introduces uh, what, you know, what the problem is and who you are and everything. Okay. Sometimes people come in there and they've been had it for they know they've had it for many years. So the and person at the rehab, the person at the rehab actually told you about someone told you about Gary. Uh, the one that told me about Gary, uh, his his name is uh, uh, he's he's the guy that works at uh, School for the Blind. Okay, so that was separate from the rehab. That's okay. Gary's friend, longtime friend, and he told me about it. But I still didn't know what it was until I met Gary. And I called Gary that night after my friend uh, uh, told me about it. So uh, Gary talked to me for almost two hours. I didn't know a man could talk that long. I know women do. <laughs> but yeah, he told me and he was so interesting and and he wanted to really help. I, 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 I was led there for a reason. Carol, are you? You describe everything so perfectly in your experiences with Charles Benet syndrome. It's many people have expressed the exact same experiences that you are expressing. Um, have you felt that the support groups have helped you to cope at all with what you're experiencing? Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. It's, it's been a tremendous help to me. It makes it shows me up. I really feel comfortable there, and I, I don't say everything because uh, there's things I die to tell them. But I do say this right off the bat. I said to them, 
Um, I'm so glad I found this group, but you have to take me as I am. I, I, I can't be something I'm not. I get really mad and sometimes I curse and sometimes I, I want to say, please believe me, but I'm not there yet. I, I can't come out with some of my stories, although I've had people offer to me to write things, uh, but I'm not making them up. I said, this isn't like fairy tales. This is my real life and it's serious to me, even if it's funny as hell. I, I want to tell you, this is kind of a funny story, just to let you know that it can be funny to some people, but not, not all of it. It depends on the kind of person you are. But the first time I got up one morning and started walking toward the kitchen and I saw there was somebody in my kitchen. And this, this was in the early stages. There was five full-size gorillas standing in my kitchen, leaning against the cabinet like five guys having coffee. They all had a cup in their hand. They were smiling and they were gesturing. And of course you can't hear them or anything. You can only see them. And uh, they're having coffee in my kitchen. And I was kind of shocked at first, I stood there. And then I glanced down and they all had on red tennis shoes. And when I said that, uh, she started laughing. I said, aha, you thought that was funny. She said, yes. She said, oh my God, I never heard of a woman laugh that long. And she was just so sweet. You know, she, I see what you mean, she said. I said, but they're not all like that. I haven't had that many experiences, but this is the first funny one. And I'll probably never forget it. The minute they saw me, boom, in a blink of an eye, they were gone. And I thought, did I see that? <laughs> yeah, I saw it. And that's part of the Charles Bonet experience, Carol, is, is you know, everybody has a different perspective, a different history. The Charles Bonet will bring that back, you know. So please don't feel that you can't express yourself at a at a support group meeting because you may be helping somebody that feels the same way. And and that's the safe place to be. That's it's a safe environment. Or or just call Gary. Or you could call me or Shimon and, and just talk about what you're going through because it is difficult for some people to wrap their head around what a loved one is going through. And, and I don't know if you've um, uh, listened to any of our other podcasts, but one of the, one of the things we pointed out in one podcast was that family members dealing with Charles Benet syndrome are also dealing with the watching the person that they love change in front of them you know, not just losing your vision, um, the falls, they get frightened and yeah. people don't understand that Charles Benet is not a mental illness. It is a physiological condition and it's, it's caused by your brain. It is not caused by a mental illness. Your brain is continuously the, you know, you're, you're constantly sending those images for you to see, even though your vision is not there and it's a very it's a phenomenon that we don't understand yet and a lot of research is being done many people enjoy their hallucinations many people don't and i i'm, I'm seeing more the don't than do and what you're expressing is very common from what we hear in the charles benet syndrome world so please don't feel like you're 
that you shouldn't express yourself or talk about it because I, sometimes I do believe, and I'm not a doctor or a medical professional, always that disclaimer, but as a, as a caretaker of someone who had it for quite a while, if you don't express what you're seeing or feeling, I think that it starts to get worse because you're not talking about it. Does, does that make sense to you? If you express yes. yourself? Yeah. Yes. Have you tried cognitive behavioral therapy at all? Have you, have you talked to a, um, a therapist about some oh, of the no. things I'm, I'm just now getting a, 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 a doctor and, mm -hmm. uh, told me uh, which doctor to go to. <laughs> she, uh, she told me a lot of things that she's already experienced and I was really glad to know about the, how much better the, uh, oh, I can't remember the type of doctor at the eye doctors. Uh, the, the one that starts with a P, <laughs> uh, you know, they have a neuro ophthalmologist. They had, yeah, ophthalmo uh, yeah. Starts with an O, like I said, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the perfect doctor. And you remember that not too many months ago, we had that guy from, uh, way up where, where he, he lives. Uh, there's a, is that your scoring? Uh, yeah. The, yes. I, I from, get their name. The He's from he the Mayo so Clinic. Yeah, that was wonderful. I really enjoyed his visit here. He was so full of knowledge because he'd been doing it so long. And I can see why people would say you should get a, a ophthalmologist, not just a general, you know, I, I check up guy. Because you know, the lot. with that too is, is that you also want to make sure when you make your appointment that they have dealt with Charles Benet syndrome it, because if they're not going to oh, recognize sure. it, you know, that's, but the reason I was asking, are, weren't you a school teacher? Am no. I right about that? What, what no, was your I, I, career? I was a square dance teacher. You're a square dance <laughs> teacher. teacher out there. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, confused with another support group member. You, you work yeah. with a, a lot of people in your life. So, and, and, and you're very imaginative. And it seems like the more imagination someone has and the more vivid they're, you're a storyteller, right? And so I yeah. think we're finding that people with really vivid imaginations and creative backgrounds and um, dynamic personalities, you know, they're, they're, their hallucinations tend to be a little more vivid and in, in, in the severity of um, longevity the number that they have, it just seems to be that type of thing that we're seeing again, not a doctor, not a medical professional. And, right. and it all depends on personality type, you know, we're just starting to see this evolve with different people. And, uh, and you've heard that in support groups. And, uh, one of the things that I, I would love for you to share is, um, how, what, what, what is your greatest coping mechanism? to deal with the hallucinations that might help other people. What are you, what are you doing that, that helps for them to go? <laughs> uh, well, different things, but one of them is I give them a good cussing out. Uh, if, if I'm having a bad day, by golly, they're going to have a bad day. And I just, if I feel that way, I am that way. I can't pretend. And one of the things that I do, uh, as I steal myself up to be a really scary person. I know I'm not, but 
I feel like I'm really scary and I pray a lot. Uh, I'm very devoted to my prayers. And uh, I, I, I developed my idea of having that gun, having a finger gun, because I've never had a gun in my life. I couldn't even cock one. And uh, I just thought I needed some protection because at the beginning, they were a little scary. And I, I, they, my ones that are here regularly would get company occasionally and they'd have pistols in their, in their waistband. And I could see them very plainly as if, it were, if they were standing right in front of me. And that scared me when I saw it because my, my husband was a gun collector. He had hundreds of guns. Had to have locks on everything in the house because that was just that. I couldn't prevent him from doing that. So that's in my background of him and those guns. And I got, always had a fear that one of my kids might get shot by their father or somebody worse. And I just had the fear. And, and when I saw those critters with guns in their belt, uh, I thought, that's what I need. I need a gun. I need to protect myself. I, I can't stand up to them. If I have to, I, I won't be able to, because the Lord knows what, what they're capable of. So I prayed, and I prayed, and I said, would it be so bad, God, if I had a gun, but not a real one, but everybody else thought it was real. And I, I do that all the time, pray about it. But one night I had my opportunity. A couple of those guys that were on motorcycles, right outside my sliding doors, they came on in, and before you know it, they were threatening me. They were pointing their guns right at me, maybe 10 feet from me. And I thought, oh, Lord. You know, this is this is this is it. I'm either going to get shot or I'm or I'm going to be the winner. And so I pointed my finger at him and I said, "Bet you didn't count on this." And I remember saying that, and I thought, "You fool! What, what an idiotic thing to say with somebody pointing a gun at you, whether they're telling you it's their finger." But when I, I when they started walking toward me, I did shoot at them. Got them both right in the head. They both bled. They both hit the floor. Blood was all over the floor. I could hear people saying, call 911. And I heard somebody else say, you know, I said, what am I hearing? They don't talk. It was, it was me. I was yelling and I realized I was yelling. Call 911. I thought I really shot them. But no, they were right back the next day. So I didn't kill them, so I didn't feel guilty. But I, I've never told that story out like this. It's well, think about that. Think about the memory that you just shared about your husband having all those guns exactly. and that in your hallucinations, the guns are very prevalent. And so yes, that mm -hmm, there's a correlation about things that may have been fearful in your past, things that are fearful in the past of people with Charles Benet. And then when those hallucinations come around, those memories, those things that were fearful, tend to present themselves in the hallucinations. And a lot of hallucinations are very um, similar. A lot of people, um, they, they hallucinate about people in vintage clothing, just like the gentleman that you said you saw with the scarf. Um, yeah. Children in vintage clothing, clowns. Then there are the people who see the stars and the dolphins and the, the, the flowers and the ones that you're like, okay, wish my hallucinations could be like that, you know, but um, they're also very, they're, they're very personal, yet there are a lot that are very similar. But I, yeah. you know, the more somebody talks, 
And that's why I was suggesting the, the cognitive behavioral therapy. And I wish more cognitive behavioral therapists and those that are listening, please look at Charles Binet syndrome because you can see that correlation of memory and how it affects the hallucinations after vision loss. If you develop Charles Binet syndrome, it's pretty, um, it's important. It's important to recognize those things. It, you know, our mother had the same thing. Her, her past would come back in the hallucinations and it would frighten her, but they don't come back as the memory. They come back in a different way that can either scare you, educate you, or make you understand something. So everybody's yes. experience is different. I can see yes. that, Carol. I can see, Carol, why that, I'm wondering, you know, you, you also talked one time about how somebody always has cards and you said you like to play cards. Am I correct about that? In your past, you were yeah. a card. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I that's like what I remember. And so cards are very prevalent in your hallucinations as well. So even the past yeah, or- well, the, uh, Some of these critters have cards for, for different things. Like uh, there was a couple, uh, they looked like they were up to no good. They just had that look about them. And I thought, uh-oh. What are they up to? Yeah, I just knew it. And they were in my kitchen, but they were using it as a bar. They had bottles sitting there and they were drinking out of the right glass that, you know, to hold all this different. I noticed it and they were drinking. And uh, I remember how many times, because we had a bar in our house, house that we rented when we used to travel. And it had an actual bar built into it. It was the bar room. That's where Dave would take all his gun trader pals. And they would go downstairs into that bar room. And I was always afraid because I know they were always packing a gun. I, I lived it. I lived guys coming into our home with guns hidden on them. Some of them are in zippered things like a long gun would be zippered up in a leather cover of some sort. And Dave uh, and I'd lock the door when they go down there. I'd lock the door. I said, you know, knock on the door when you're ready to leave. Because I didn't want them loose in my house. And that was Dave's room. So I have a lot of memories stored away in the two years that we lived in that area. And, and, and when we moved to our final house and didn't travel anymore, Dave says, I'm going to build a bar. I said, you are not. You are not building a bar. I will leave you if you build a bar. <laughs> He said, don't threaten me. I said, I've been threatened by those people for two years uh, coming to our home, even if we didn't own it. They come in and I felt threatened and my kids were threatened. I said, I, I will not live in a house that has a bar in it. And he, okay, if you feel that strongly, you know. And he started selling them off one by one. But before we did, he wanted to get in front of all the guns and have his picture taken. And I allowed him that. He dragging guns from all places. I didn't even know he had them in the box springs under the bed. I mean, I just would have never thought of some of these hiding places he had, but we got them all together. He plopped down in front of them and I took the picture. I still got it. That explains a lot about what you experience in, in have you been able to get to the point where you're able to say, Carol, this is your brain playing tricks. These are not real. I know it's difficult. Have you been able to get to that point yet where you 
are able to rationalize that they're these are not real. They're real to you because oh, you're yes. seeing. Okay. I can tell you, Eva, I have I'm standing on that point. I That's awesome. believe it with all my heart and soul. But it's and difficult. My, my, lady, that my caregiver uh, loves it when she can match up one of the critters with something in my past. She likes for me to tell her things. Um, and she'll say, I know what, I know why you're seeing that. Remember you told me that story one time about you being on a bus and she'll, she's got a good memory too. And I said, yeah, I did one time. She said, that's the correlation between those two things. You had this experience in your real life. And now in your, uh, make up, make believe life, you're experiencing it again. That's what she says. That's memory. And, you know, you were talking about at one point about journaling and I know you, you have a vision loss. There are so many different ways to journal. You know, I'm sure that your son is so tech savvy. You could record it. You could, you know, make a voice recording. And I, I think that's really important, Carol. You know, we have a group, we have a group member that's writing a book and one of the chapters in her book is, do you see, do you see what I see or can you see what I see? Am I correct with that, Shaman? Yes. Do you see what I see? I think do you yep. see what I see and how interesting because is interesting. it is very difficult for the person that does not have CBS to be able to understand what that person is going through. And one of the most important things that was ever said, I think on our pat on our podcast so far, and there will be many more important things said, we had a caretaker come on. His name was Ken. And he said, the first thing you have to do is believe them, believe what they're telling you. And that's the same message that, you know, any doctors that are listening, any medical professionals, anybody just believe what the person is telling you because they're asking for help. They're reaching out for help. They're asking you to believe them because they trust you. They need your help. And we're going to, you know, we're working to get to the place where we understand this and a way to treat it. And therein lies the phenomenon. How do we treat this? Because everyone is so different. Everyone's experience is different. The reason that the condition came on with whether there are a lot of similarities, a lot, a lot of macular degeneration, because the baby boomer population is getting older and, you know, but there's MS, there's diabetes, there's, you know, Parkinson, there, any, anything that can affect vision can cause Charles Binet syndrome. And that's what we yeah. have to, that's what we have to remember. And we have to remember to believe people when they're trying to tell us that. And then that's, also, that's the part that's hard. I, I know that feeling. I wanted to tell somebody cause I, I was felt very alone with this secret. Uh, although I wasn't wanting to keep it a secret at all. I wanted help. And every time I'd approach somebody and tell them some little part of it, they would either make a joke or, or say, Oh, stop. I don't want to hear anymore. Uh, I've gotten all kinds of reactions. And, and when that happens to you a couple of times, you start not wanting to tell people. To get that and so uh, I, I just decided well, I'm preventing people from knowing about it just because of a couple people that don't want to hear it. I'm going to blast it out. I, I, the more people that know about it, the more curious they'll get and they'll start finding out anyway. 
So I'm just like the pioneer here, spreading the word. Uh, I don't care if it's scary or not, deal with it. I live with it. And I've just, and I've got some right here in my apartment complex. Uh, A guy next door came over to visit me and he said, haven't seen you around for us. I've been really busy. I uh, joined a new group and I was telling him about that. He said, group for what? See, I, I purposely never tell him. I know him from the past. He worked with my husband. So I know him pretty well. I know the kind of man he is. And I thought, don't tell him. You know, you're not going to like what you hear. I just knew it. And I thought, like, get it over with, you know. So he came over. I invited him over for lunch. So it couldn't be too bad because he ate it here. So, <laughs> so he comes over and I said, you know, I don't know if you've heard or not, but I have a, a medical condition. He said, oh, what is it? Hope it's not your heart. I said, no, I could probably handle that better, though. Uh, I said, this is something that's very unusual. Most people don't believe it. It's called, and I explained it, what it was and all that, and he's staring at me. He said, so you see people that are not really there. I said, that's right. All kinds of people, kids, dogs, animals, you name it, I'm seeing it. But it's not real. Well, what's wrong? Are you going crazy? I said, I thought I was for a while. I said, but no. I said, it comes from your brain. It's something wrong has happened in your brain or or maybe it was always going to happen or maybe you had a terrible shock or lots of different reasons. But I ended up with it. And I told him one little story. Nothing scary, nothing funny, just a normal little thing. And he said, go back to where you were talking about that blonde. And I said, blonde? He said, you said a woman with long blonde hair. I said, yeah, she's she's one of my critters. He said, wow, how old do you think she is? And then I realized he was making fun because he's always been a horny old guy that nobody wants around. Yeah. So I, I got kind of ticked off at him and I said, Bill, your wife is in a nursing home right now and you're over here talking about something that's not real, but I'm seeing it, which is very serious. And you got the nerve to make a sexual comment about something like that. He said, oh, I'm sorry, Carol. I was just trying to, I was just trying to put you in a good mood. I said, you want to put me in a good mood? I said, leave. And he said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I want you to leave. So he left. It was months before we started speaking again. I felt offended. I felt like I was just being foolish, you know, I just felt he was taking advantage of uh, the visit, uh, crack a few jokes at my expense. And mm-hmm. I just, and it hurt my feelings. He's, I've known him 55 years and I've always known he's been like that, but I never thought much about it because it wasn't my husband. And I, I just thought poor Dell, you know, his wife, she's sitting over there in the nursing home. Her husband's out, like, acting like a fool. He just turned 90 last week. I don't think he's quite funny anymore. I'm curious, Carol. Do you know how, I'm sorry to hear that story. I'm glad you were able to handle it. Do uh, How much eyesight do you have left? Uh, do you know? Well, how do you judge that? I oh, can't Catherine, read maybe, I thought maybe a doctor would have said that, you know, you have 90% vision loss or you have 10% left. But if you don't know, that's perfectly fine. Cause yeah, sometime because sometimes I got a first appointment coming up in a couple of months. I had to make a year appointment when I first went there because they were so busy. I said, I I can't think of the name of the company, well well known. 
And uh, I was on my way back to Louisville from uh, where I had been living with my son. And I just said, we need to stop and let me see some kind of an eye doctor before we get an apartment. And so they did, and it was, uh, uh, they've got a bunch of them, four or five of these doctors. And I said, I need to get an ophthalmologist. Somebody told me that. And I did, I did make an appointment with an ophthalmologist, but I won't know anything. I'm just kind of judging by, by what other people say. I would say if I had to measure my amount of sight that's left, I would say, um, oh, I, I think it's pretty bad. I mean, everything is very foggy white in my house right now. It's like I'm seeing everything through a white fog. Do you see shadows? I'm sorry. Do, do you see shadows, Carol? Is it? Is it? Can you? Can you sense when the sun goes down? So, it, oh, is yeah. it like a shadow kind of thing? Okay. Yeah, I can see people. Can't, can't make out their faces. Okay, but you know you can see movement. Can you see movement yes. in front of you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to hear something funny? Sure. I see everything that happens with the critters perfectly fine. Of that course. was my next question. Yeah, I was going to ask that. That that's a dead giveaway <laughs> that it's Charles Monet because most of your eyesight or your vision is dull, but the, mm -hmm. the, the critters or the hallucinations are clear. That's what Gary yeah. teaches us. Yeah. So that, that, I don't know if that can calm you down anymore because it's still alarming to see a tiger or a bear in your, in your house, but you can say, okay, if it's Not coming anymore. in, it's be Charles Monet. <laughs> yeah. Well, Samad, I just had a tiger in here the other day. He sat well, there watching eat my lunch. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you that if you could share some of your experiences because there's somebody that's going to listen to this show and they have Charles Monet and like Eva said, some of the experiences are similar, but some are not. I just wanted you to share a few of your experiences. I mean, you, you just mentioned it was a tiger. Yeah, Can you mention some other things? I have some of the wildest things happen that I would have never really told anybody because I didn't think anybody would believe I actually saw something like that. We all know it's not real. But boy, it's, it, it, you would bet your life that it was if you had that opportunity. The animals that have been in my apartment, the largest one has been an elephant. And it filled up the room. And it was so real. So I could see the water in his eyes. You know, I could see the, his eyes catching the light. And the, everything about him was so real and so clear. Uh, of course, you don't hear him. Uh, I've had giraffe, uh, lots of, God knows, lots of gorillas, uh, my unfavorite animal. Uh, oh God, they're just, but they're, and in my case, when I see a full grown gorilla, they are as normal as a person because now that I've seen them with clothing on, I mean, they will wear clothing over their fur and, and they'll carry babies around as like they're, they're good animals. See? I have always been terrified of girls, which is why I think I see a lot of them. You traveled. You say you traveled a lot, Carol. Did you did yeah. you travel uh, safari? Did you go on safaris? I've never gone on a safari. I had to go wherever the Navy goes. <laughs> We've okay. traveled because of my husband's job. Okay. So we were a always traveling. A lot of memories. But I did take... Uh, vacations uh outside the country like paris and france you know 
I couldn't really even appreciate him. I was just there with my husband and kid. I didn't know anybody. No, no new people to meet hardly, except that they were in the Navy. <laughs> but it was still an experience because they lived there in that area and they would take us places that we were able to kind of see. You have a lifetime of memories. You have a lifetime of vivid, you've, you've been a lot of places. It's no wonder that your hallucinations are so different yeah. and vivid. And, and that's something that, you know, it's it, like Shimon said, it's important for people to hear that when they're experiencing the same thing. And the other thing too, for everyone to keep in mind is that, you know, Charles Benet does not just pick the elderly or senior citizens or over the age of 50 to affect you. It can affect you at any age, any gender, any ethnic background. It does not matter. CBS is indiscriminate. If you have eyes, Charles Benet syndrome can invade your life. And that's so important for people to remember. It knows no, it, it's indiscriminate. It, it, it does not care if you have eyes, it can, it can affect you. Now, if you are born blind, we've never heard of someone born blind having Charles Benet as of yet. So that's all I do know uh, from, from what Gary tells me, because there's no memory. There's, there's no visual memory to come back as a hallucination if you were born blind. Makes sense, huh? One of the things I, I wonder about, uh, suddenly, I, I think this started about six months ago, maybe eight months ago. I've suddenly not seen very many white people. I'm, I have a gazillion uh, gorillas. They'll mm. come in packs of 30 and 40. They're all, as far as I can see through my apartment, it's just nothing but gorillas. That's not a bad day when I'm feeling, uh, I, I've got a problem with something, you know, I'm distressed about something uh, because I can tell by the amount of gorillas and the, even the little tiny gorillas that are like, you know, six months old, they got their little tiny, they even got their little tiny card that has the word pass on it. So when they come in my doors, everybody's got this little, card the size of a credit card saying pass everybody and and i got really aggravated about it one day and i said oh for god's sakes you don't need to keep showing me that pass this is my house you don't need a pass to get in here stop with the passes but the little little ones still got their little bitty passes it's hmm. just crazy no explanation for it but i see no more white people anymore it's all black gorillas that look fierce, but they're sweet as they can be. They're, they're like a, 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 a white mother. I mean, if I, if I was uh, uh, prejudiced, I'd be making all kinds of terrible remarks probably, but I'm not prejudiced. I grew up with black people and they, they were few in our family. And, I, and as I traveled, we always, there was always black people with it because they all were in the Navy. And uh, we had more black friends than we had white friends. So I never really thought about it. I mean, I've been living next door to a black, little black lady. She was our neighbor for many years, but I can remember when I was six, I just started school. And my grandfather took me to the backyard. He says, you want to be, see me kill a chicken? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, well, that's what we're going to have for supper. 
and I got my, my mother's advice got really wide. I, no, you can't kill animals. Well, how do you think you're eating that chicken on Sundays? And I, I didn't know what to say, but that is one of my fears. My grandfather's in my, some of my things of killing a chicken. And then he would throw the head near our, our feet. He said, he's looking for his head. Don't let it peck you. You'll turn into a chicken. He was a mean old man. And he would do that to us every time we spend the weekend with him. And all the black people, they all had chickens all the time. And they always said, I'm going to take some of those chicken heads. I'm going to boil them up, boil them up. I actually heard that word when I was little. Did he live on a farm? No, he brought the farm with him when he moved to Louisville. He came from a big old farm. Right. Uh, and there's your farm life. Remember the yeah. farm that the family keeps taking you to? Yeah. You were talking about well, being on the, the actual farm he came from, but uh, his house was in Louisville and it was kind of out. And uh, he had a little chicken yard far, far from the house, but it was a chicken yard. I avoided that chicken yard. I, I dream about headless chicken. Uh, it was a nightmare for a kid. I don't even know about my brother. He was y younger than me. I hope my grandfather didn't do that to him. But That would be a nightmare for an adult. Oh, well, my dad got kind of mad about it, but uh, he didn't do anything about it. He's a peaceful man. I really, you know, I, not for nothing, if, if you have so many stories that I think it would be wonderful for you to write them down and to share them or compile a book of your experience. Well, you, know, you, can't just, you can't just remember something. Something has to uh, uh, make you tell that sure. story. I don't know what word we said while we were talking, uh, but something always stimulates something in your brain. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, we had one of those. You don't think of that unless somebody triggers that memory. Right, right. But you seem to have a very vivid memory and I think it'd be very interesting to hear some of your experiences and maybe it would help you understand your hallucinations a little bit more. Just a suggestion. I just wonder if you wrote down all your memories. I wouldn't, I'm normally that type. I used to invent stories. Uh, to, to, I, I would invent stories when I was really young and I would tell them to my friends. And that's how I got started doing that because they would, I'd make them silly, I'd make them funny, you know, because they're just little kids. And every night after supper, we'd gather on the front steps of the apartment building we lived in. And they, Carol's going to tell a story, you know, and I'd get my little notes out. <laughs> oh, I've got a good one about two mice. They were cousins. And I'm thinking of my cousin, because these are real stories, but not real people in the stories. And I used to taunt her something awful. I look back, I, I, I regret all the times I teased her so badly, but she really puts out a lot of information to make a story out of. She's always in trouble. And I would tell her stories. And as it went on, I changed it around. It was two little mice, a boy and a girl that would rob houses of the cheese at night. And uh, <laughs> I made it totally up. My mother typed it out. She said, here's a good story. She said, I added a little bit to it. <laughs> the mice are stealing cheese. <laughs> she said, you can't have them stealing guns. I said, oh, okay. You know, and I've, I've been doing that ever since. I make up stories. 
they're not always true stories. If I'm doing it for kids, I just make it up whatever comes to my mind. But here's your imagination. Yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm just curious, Carol, if there was someone that was listening to this podcast and they have Charles Bonet and they may be at their wits end, it's getting the best of them. They're really feeling down. What kind of advice would you give them? What has helped you or what, what kind of advice would you give someone struggling with Charles Bonet? Uh To where I am now, I feel like I've come a long way. I, I probably haven't, but I feel like I have because it's ever changing. And I thought, you know, I worry about how bad it could be because I've heard some horror stories from my son's father-in-law. He had Charles Bonet and he's gone now. And I knew him when he first got it. He's a, he was a doctor and he was a psychiatrist. Isn't that odd? And then he gets Charles Bonet and he knew what it was and he, he described it. And I'm sitting on the couch and that's the first evening I ever spent with him alone. Everybody went for ice cream, but me. And I stayed with him because he was visiting us. And I noticed he had a walker and he walked on it kind of funny. He leaned on it for support as he walked. And he said, I bet you're going to ask me a bunch of questions. I said, yeah, been waiting for him to leave. <laughs> he said, well, I got some for you. He said, do you know what, uh, what did he call it? Charles Bonet? I don't, I don't even remember what he called it, but he, he, he had a name for it. Like I say, critters, he, he had his own name for it and they were frightening. And he said, I don't see anything funny. I don't see anything good. I can't even think of anything. I'd, I wouldn't want anybody to have that, no matter how bad they were. And I said, what's the worst thing you ever saw? He said, I saw a big snake. It came out from under my bed and I watched it crawl across the floor and get up into the baby bed that we don't even have. He said, get into this imaginary baby bed and eat the baby. And he said, I thought I was going to throw up. It's so real. And he said, that was just like, that was it for me. He said that I could never get a decent uh, critter. He said, I never had anything funny. It was always violent and mean. He said, I'm not even that kind of person. He was a missionary since college and he went right out, stayed with missionary till the day he died. He was a, a psychiatrist and he would go on to these far countries like Afghanistan, way far away places to treat the poor people. And they didn't charge them anything, but whatever the problems they had mentally, he was right there for them. He said he thinks he made up a lot uh, of, uh, of good things happen for these people that lived in terrible poverty. Uh, and, uh, and three of his children uh, became doctors and started doing the same work. He had six children and uh, their daughter is my daughter-in-law. And uh, she has told me many stories of traveling as a baby to all these foreign places and she had to sleep in a drawer they took a drawer out of the big dresser where they stayed and made a bed for her because they had so many kids and uh and she's full of these stories and and their mother now is 90 and she came visit me not too long ago and we sat here and she can remember everywhere they went uh, she she can really remember back when she was in college and taking her medical 
of getting her medical license and stuff. And that's where she met her husband and they are missionaries. And she's still like a, a missionary. You have to be careful what you say in front of her. <laughs> she is a missionary through and through. And he, before he died, he was still getting patients in his eighties that would come to Indiana and visit him at his home and ask him for help. I mean, it just never ended till the, till the very end. Wow. I mean, they talk about writing books. He's got a lot of books. Hmm. Very interesting, Carol. You have such an interesting life. And I hope that whomever is listening to this podcast, especially if they need some help, will glean something from what you've had to say and, and contact the group. I hope so. Well, you all shut me down whenever you're ready. I don't know how, <laughs> how long these things are. <laughs> We really cold. don't ever stop anybody from talking about Charles Benet syndrome, but unfortunately the podcast can only go for so long. We, we could talk to you all day long because, you know, anybody with Charles Benet, because it is such an, it's not something you can just cram into a certain amount of time. And that's why we appreciate people doing the best that they can to, to tell their experiences. And we'll have to have you back on again to, to talk more about, maybe how you've adjusted more, how you've grown with your Charles Bonet, how you've incorporated it, how you've, well, how you've coped with it, how, you, how you've integrated it into your life. You have to learn a lot about it. And I think the best way is to talk with somebody that has it and doesn't know what to do. Uh, I'm hoping that these podcasts are tremendously, I, I think they're going in the right direction because Everything is going podcast now. And uh, if to, to hear somebody talk that has it, and you're thinking, well, I've had a lot happen in my life when I was, you know, they'll start thinking about themselves. That's what my hope is, is they'll compare that to what they did when they were young. Who's going to think about themselves being that younger when you first get diagnosed with? You're not going to start thinking about your past life. But if somebody gives you a head start, and saying, look to your past. What kind of things happened? What kind of things did you do that you're seeing what you're seeing now? Try to match them up. Uh, you know, getting beat up at school. I mean, there's something that never leaves your memory. I've, I don't know how many boys I've heard talk about how they got beat up at school. And uh, my, my own son was one of the ones. He probably doesn't even remember it now. But you would call on some long past memory something will make you think of it and then you'll have it and you'll think oh so that's why i'm seeing this this baseball bat all the time a kid with a baseball bat i mean you get chased with a baseball bat get beat up that's not anything you're going to forget but you might forget it until you have a reason to, to call that memory up something's right. going to remind you of it it might be somebody with charles bonnet i just think well, that you know, that's very true <clears throat> yeah very true yeah. And you know, the mind, go ahead, Shimon. Oh, sorry. I was going to say the mind is such a complex tool, I guess, oh. for lack of better words, that it, it, nobody, the smartest doctors and scientists can't figure out, figure it out and never really will fully figure it out. Uh, I did have you one question. So? Uh, do, do, uh, I'm sorry, you were going to say something? You don't think that's going to happen sometime in, in the future? It could. It could. It's possible with innovation, but, it, you know, it could be a long time, not in our lifetime. It <laughs> it's such a complex uh, thing. Yeah. I'm curious with your Charles, with the hallucinations or critters that you see, uh, have, have do they interact with you? 
usually or do they try to like get your attention or do they usually just stay off in the corner and, and mind their own business? Yes, I think that is it a lot of times, but I don't, I, I, I don't deliberately try to, uh, you know, get mixed up with them and have try to talk to them or anything. That happened on their end. I, I've never done that. I will be, that started with me dreaming. Uh, there, one of my critters is a priest. He wears a crown and everything. I mean, he's, I think he's just a priest because he's also a doctor and I kind of tried to put his personality, I see him every night, every night, have since the first seeing, And I've put it together over this past couple of years. Uh, he's a sort of a, a religious figure. Uh, he has a bunch of nurses. They all wear blue nurses outfits. They help him deliver babies. That's one of the things that I see every night. <coughs> so uh i said i know you can't he always comes over to to my bedside because i'm in my bed in my room and they invade my room with all the nurses and all the equipment it's like i'm in the nursing uh facility but i'm not i'm in my bed and he comes over and he, he'll try to point and he's trying to tell me something but he's just pointed or he'll look up and he'll look at me and then he'll look up he wants me to see what's up so i look up and oh there's like a beautiful dance going up in the air it's like uh people on the uh high wires you know at a circus or something they, they're tossing babies around it's a ridiculous dream but one night he came over and he had a blank card and he pointed at me <clears throat> And I said, so you got a card, what's it for? And he just looked around and I believe he was listening to me. I mean, I can't tell, I don't know how this works in your brain, but the next night he came, he wrote <clears throat> name. He wrote, he had N-A-M-E on this little card. And I said, oh, it's dark in this bedroom. I, I can't really see what that is on there. He, he went over and got a piece of equipment and made it like 10 times as big, like a magnifier. And he put it, a card behind it, and in real big letters, it says name. I said, where'd you get that magnifier? I could use that. Man, could I use that magnifier? Uh, and he, he just kept looking at me. And I said, oh, you wanna know my name? And uh, I said, I don't want you to know my name. And he, he just kept looking at me and pointing to the card. And I said, well, I'll tell you my first name. It's Carol. And he spelled it C-A-R-O-L, no E. I said, that's wrong. And he said, shook his head, no. I'm like, no, it's right. I said, no, it's wrong. You know, and, and he could obviously hear me in this silly story, but I can't hear him. So every now and then he comes up with a card or something on a piece of paper and he has still never told me his name i don't know it to this day i keep saying uh you need to tell me your name uh, i don't get it but the other people in there write things like supper i said where is where's the big guy the one with the crown i just say things like that you know something gets through to somebody and she wrote supper I said, I don't believe you. And she, she just 
kept staring at me. Then she got up and got a plate. <laughs> and she just showed me the plate and said, supper. <laughs> and this all happened in my bedroom, for heaven's sakes. How do you tell a story like that? I mean, it's a such a just did and it was great i mean that's a lot of people can relate to what you just said carol i mean a lot of people that are experiencing charles benet can relate to what you just said that's why it's so important to tell your story well that's why, exactly why i don't tell it because it sounds ridiculous of course it does now, because you go ahead i'm sorry well that's okay i, I i'm just sitting here looking at one of them right now on my wall i usually don't have any critters during the day not a one I feel so free in my house. I don't have to run into it. But if I get a little nervous or stressed out about something, uh, I, I see all my, wall, all my clear cream-colored walls are have ivy on them. And I hate ivy. I, <laughs> and I know where, where it came from. So you say, you know, I, why do you see certain things? The lady upstairs put ivy in her entire kitchen area. It, it makes me dizzy when I would go up there. And she always says, she first got it, she said, isn't it pretty? And I said, uh-huh. I said, <laughs> it makes me a little dizzy. And she said, you're dizzy anyway. <laughs> but she doesn't get it. It's so ugly. Uh, all over, I feel like I'm in a jungle when I go up to her. That's just a little side thing that's real. <laughs> that's actually good that you're able to experience something like that and realize that it is cbs and uh, be able to stay calm and and then took it a step further to even know maybe where it could be coming from and where you've seen the iv before uh because i was going to say it's it's, you know it's nothing there everything's okay but you already know that you're learning how to cope have coping mechanisms with that i think i think you're right The, the reason that was in my mind because when I was young, almost all the houses on my street had ivy growing on the house. Because uh, back then they thought it kept the house cooler. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was so <laughs> well, you're very, uh, we appreciate your time and uh, you gave us uh, some good insights and shared the story and I'm sure others can relate to it. And you being a part of this podcast is helping the community and helping spread awareness. Oh, I hope and- so give somebody some hope I'm, I'm pretty sure just to know that they're not alone and they may have experienced some things that you you have and no matter what you experience you are still getting through it and coping with it daily so we appreciate that thank you yeah and I, I, i'm honored that you asked me to be a part of it thank you so much we're honored no to have you, carol. you. Yeah, we're honored to have you thank you so much for everything thank you carol Thank you, Shamar. Thank you, too. I mean, you all work awfully hard with this program, and it's a fantastic thing. I never miss it.